Welcome to the Resilient Schools podcast. Today, I am very honored to have Lavana Roth on the program. Lavana is an engaging and interactive keynote speaker, consultant, educator, and mom. She bridges her passion for how the brain learns with identifying how every individual shines with their mindset and social emotional well-being. She leads a small business where she and her team boost schools in embodying a human-focused culture, a culture where we put those doing the work at the heart of the impact desired. How? By supporting schools in harnessing the SHINE framework, increasing psychological safety, and building a foundation based on the brain sciences. SHINE is a secret to a work environment where all want to be. Lavana has three degrees, is the author of eight books, and has worked with organizations in the United States, Canada, Europe, South America, and the Middle East. And she is the creator and founder of the Ignite Your Shine framework, and also Prime to Shine, where she coaches educators on how to make an impact through educational consulting, part-time or full-time. Sounds like I need to have her on my other podcast, My Bonus Money, which we'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, Shine will leave you inspired, help you find your power through aha moments, ignite the fire within you to have confidence in who you are and what you do, because you are the difference maker. Lavana, welcome to Resilient Schools. So happy to have you. Great to be here, Jethro. Thank you so much. Yeah. So what was what was most impactful in this conversation that we had today? There are a couple of things that came to mind, but I think it summarized by really looking at how do we shift and change education and that comes down to the status quo of listening, you know, breaking the status quo and listening to people. So two of the main things that popped in my head is when we're really talking about culture, breaking through the hierarchy and valuing other people and truly allowing that to happen. And the second part is how you explicitly ask me the question of how do you do this? What would that look like in this situation? And it was great to give information that people can actually use. So I think it's extremely valuable. Yeah. I I love it when we can give real concrete examples to what people may be going through and how to help them see a different way to approach it. And I think you gave really good advice on those things. And so I I appreciate that. Um, there, there are a lot of different ways that people can approach problems and dissect problems and, and manage them. And you, I think, shared a pretty clear cut way for how people can manage that. And can you just share an example of you working with a school where you've been able to, to help people cut through the noise and like get down to what really matters? Uh, Cause it's not very easy. It's not, as a matter of fact, I give you a really specific example when COVID was happening and there's everything was just insanity and crazy. I have a school that I work with ongoing, and usually when I come in, they are so excited. They hug me. They're like, Lavana, good to see you. And this particular day, this team walked in, and they just said, hey, and sat down. And I was like, ooh, something is happening here. Within two minutes of talking to them, I had to get the tissue box out because tears were flowing like crazy. They were beyond stress to the max. So I ditched what I was going to do. I think sometimes that's important for us to do. And I had them take a plate out and well, I should say a paper. We talked about what's on your plate and I gave them three minutes to list everything that they could, that they had to do just professionally. And at the end of the three minutes, they hadn't even stopped and I am close to stopping to write. And at that point I had them go in and code things differently based upon what is mandatory, what you think is mandatory versus what you enjoy doing. And that became a very clear cut visually for them what it was that they think everything has to be done. Everything is important. 
And in all reality, we create, especially when we're stressed, we create this level of story in our head that it is, it all has to be done. There's nothing I can give up. And so that's an example to me where sometimes you have to abandon and, and really step back and look at how am I viewing this and what is the reality of it? Because that will help us move forward. Yeah, very good. Uh, we're going to get into uh, situations kind of like that and uh, a great conversation about human focused culture here on the Resilient Schools podcast. So uh, here we go. Thanks, Lavana. Excited for this conversation. Thank you. All right, Lavana, can you tell us about why a human-focused culture is so important? Absolutely. I have worked for multiple companies and been a part of different organizations. And during this process, some of them, I felt like I was valued and important and others, it didn't matter whether I was there or not. And, and it didn't even matter how I was treated. And so when I thought about how do we create a place where people actually want to be, and you look at the research and things that are thriving and the companies or schools that are where people do show up and attendance isn't a problem, turnover isn't a problem, it has a lot to do with the fact that you put the human at the center. And I, I was torn between human-centered culture, human-focused culture, but the more I thought about it, I just thought, you know, it's, it's not just about us being at the center, but being the focus. And so putting people first, and when we put people first, we find that a lot of things actually fall into place. And this originally the idea started forming my head and really coming to fruition when I was, was started doing a lot around the brain and how the brain learns, which is what we do, the foundation of everything we do now. But when we look at, you know, how does the brain thrive the best in productivity and innovation and achievement and taking risks, it all has to do with knowing that we are valued and we feel safe and human focused culture made a ton of sense. Yeah. So we're, this podcast is resilient schools. We're talking about making schools resilient. How does that apply to schools specifically? Because we can talk about that and, and think that we know what we're doing and that it's working well, but how does that actually work in a human focused culture in a school? And how does that help us deal with things like trauma and violence and other problems that we have in schools? Yeah. So it starts really with everyone feeling valued. You know, when we feel valued, like I think about that old adage that I don't care how much, you know, until I know how much you care. And there's so much depth and truth to that. And when we think about feeling valued and people feeling that people are listening to us, then we want to contribute. We want to be there. I think about psychological safety as a part of this. And with psychological safety, the very first level, according to Dr. Timothy Clark, is do you even feel included? So inclusion is the big piece of this. So if we're talking about a school trying to be resilient, like do we even feel included? Because if we don't feel included, we automatically start to withdraw. So how do you have a culture when people are withdrawing? How do you stay resilient and thrive through things and get through trauma, violence, all those challenges and whether they're lesser or more, how do we get through those? It has to do with the fact that we have to be able to look at where do we begin and where do we want to go? And when I think about feeling valued and feeling included, then that's, that's where it starts. And the second level he has is learner. So let's think about it through the lens of an adult first. 
if I feel included, then I'm going to be attending to things. I'm going to be feeling more of a team. I'm going to be contributing more to a team, which is actually a different level of psychological safety. But I am, I feel that team effort and I'm contributing to the culture in a valuable way. If I get to the second level now, which is learner, learner is, do I feel okay to ask questions? So do I feel okay to ask, to raise my hand and say, does anyone know where the copy paper is? Feel okay to, does anyone know why that policy is there or how to, what is the policy of it? Or to ask a question, I don't know what I'm doing. Can somebody please help me? All right, so when we think about that human-focused culture and we're talking about how do you stay more resilient, you have to be, go through the different levels of psychological safety to be able to even ask the questions, to be able to contribute, to be able to challenge our thinking to get to the highest level. And we know that with resilience, that comes from having the, the willingness uh, to make mistakes, learn from those mistakes, and then to say, okay, what did I learn? How do I change that going forward? But a lot of that has to do with, again, the psychological safety aspect. Yeah. So when we think about psychological safety, that those questions that you gave examples are, I know we like to say there are no stupid questions, but those seem like stupid questions. Like, how do I do this very basic, simple thing that we don't ask because we're afraid somebody's going to find out that we don't know what we're doing. Right. And so, so that's a very real feeling. And with when, when you have that feeling in a school where people feel like they're asking a stupid question, they don't know the right answer, they can't get the right answer, it makes it difficult for them to ask more challenging questions. How does that work? You'd think that if something's really important, we'd have more confidence asking that question, but it's actually the opposite, right? That if yep. if you're not comfortable asking the stupid questions, you're even less comfortable asking the more challenging questions. Absolutely. Like you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> like you just, you're saying them. I'm like, yes, it's exactly what I was thinking that, you know, how am I supposed to ask what is considered a simple question that it, maybe I should know, but you want me to go deeper with this and really how do we serve students best? How do we serve ourselves best? How do we thrive as a school and bring, create a community? How do we do that? If I am afraid to even ask one simple question. And so lack of that psychological safety either makes or breaks us. And I, I think if you're going to talk about resilience, then you're going to talk about those challenging times and getting through those challenging times and understanding that your story is not my story. My story is not your story. So we're opening up the door to have those conversations around, tell me more about what you are saying. Tell me more about what you went through. Would you be willing to share with me your thoughts in this process? And we do it with a true empathetic listening ear right? We're really actually listening in. Like one of our core values here at Ignite Your Shine is heart for humanity. And then within that is, our, do we have a heart for humanity that we're not in this to push onto everybody else, but are we willing to listen and sit at the table to value what everyone else has to, be, has to share? Because again, if I'm coming only through my lens and my experience, and when it comes to being a human-focused culture, then I'm coming only through that lens versus asking everyone inclusion, Right? And having that ability to be able to share, to power through what we're going to do and the bonding that happens when we do this is unbelievable. Yeah. Talk to us about that, um, really making everybody feel included as opposed to, I mean, we're going back a little bit because I meant to ask this before, but I didn't. But how do you make everybody really be included and not have it be lip service or or something else, how do you make it so that people know that they really are included? Our actions speak obviously, you know, very highly. And so does our verbiage and are the two aligned? 
I think that's one of the biggest things that I notice when I'm working with schools is that there's, oh, we have these core values or we have this mission and this is what we do. But then when you look deeper at the actions, they don't actually align. I think that's one thing. A second thing is, is we're very used to in society having a hierarchy. You know, as a teacher, I listen to the assistant principal and the principal, and then we listen to the assistant superintendent, the superintendent, and there's all these tiers and hierarchy. And if you truly are going to listen to each other's voices and to have everyone included, then we have to watch those walls of hierarchy. So meaning that for, you know, example, on our team, we all know that I'm the CEO, right? We know that I'm the person, just like we know the principal makes the final decision. However, there should be voices, truly voices that are allowed to contribute. For example, on my team, anyone on my team can override me at almost any point, right? So it's not, oh, she has, she is all the power. She has the say that, no, this is a true voice thing. And do I actually have final? Yes. Just like the principal does. And realistically, we kind of have to have that from the point that, and a principal, every decision does fall on their shoulders, right? The responsibility of it. However, are we listening and not just trying to get everybody to buy into our point? Are we opening up the door to say, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts and experience your knowledge and pulling all that together? And then as a group, as a team, as a school, deciding how do we want to move forward in this? What does that look like? And so, for example, when we come in and we work with like, whether it's a faculty meeting, for example, or professional development day, then this is exactly what an administrator can do is pulling the ideas of everybody, have them self-reflect and have put them into groups and have them come up on post notes, all of the ideas and things that they could do. And then what would be, they think would be best. Then they pull like their top few ideas and we share those a group and we narrow it down to the, to what is the final decision. That is true voice, right? That is true inclusion. And that's one piece. I mean, we've got inclusion where we could talk about all other aspects of, you know, race and ethnicity and religion and, and such. And if we come to the table, they're really valuing each other and we value the voice and everybody gets to contribute to a certain point, we begin to tear down the hierarchy that separates all of us. And we begin to feel that valued and that true community, that true culture. Yeah. So how do we make that happen in a low trust environment where, for example, I was in a, a leadership team meeting the other day and uh, there was a decision that needed to be made. The leader asked for input. Nobody really said anything. And then one person suggested something and then everybody just said, yes, let's do that. And I could tell that there was not a high level of trust. I could tell there wasn't a lot of um, uh, positive effort going into that. It was basically like, and the leader was like, ecstatic that somebody said something so they glommed onto it too and said yeah let's go with that one even though that really was not the best decision to be made it was just the one that was suggested so it, it seems like there was a that was a low trust environment how would you make that happen and get started with that if your school's not already there oh yes Ooh, definitely have worked with some of them. <laughs> so I, I, for me, it goes back to understanding that doing a, like I say, a, I'm going to say it's the word smaller. I don't know if it's the right terminology I really want to use, but a smaller, small risk, let's put it that way, a small risk activity where everyone's voices and we get the juices flowing. I mean, I think a lot of us can have experienced that where somebody has come in and they ask us a deep question. How do we solve this big problem? What do we do about that? And everyone just stares at each other. 
right? So first of all, can we wade into that question and, and create a space? Like one of the activities that we often do uh, is, is everybody stand up and you get in circles and you go through a creativity almost like an improv type thing. And it's to loosen everyone up. It's to break down those barriers. And so if there's a low level of trust, you coming in it from a different direction really, really helps that. And it just kind of breaks down those walls and barriers and loosens people up to where they're more likely to have a chance, like be willing to share. And especially the sillier you get, the more it works. Because now it's, okay, everybody's being sillier, silly. And that's a social proof to us psychologically because we see everyone else doing that. So to me, it's, it's starting with there and then wading into the questions. But one of my favorite pieces of this is it's the question we ask. Are we asking the right question? So for example, are we saying, how might we? Not, not how do we solve this? How might we solve this? Opening up the door to everyone having that moment to self-reflect, to contribute and thinking, just blow this up. Like if there were no, no money resources, it, like as an issue, no time was like, time wasn't an issue, no matter what, what could this look like? And we start super, super big. And then we start pulling out, okay, what are the nuggets that could be done in the next month? What about this year? What about, okay, if we happen to win the lottery, not that we play it, but let's say we happen to win it. You know, a big grant comes in, we would do all of this. And that starts to help with that. And it's also the way that you're setting it up. If you're setting it up for everyone to sit around a table to look at each other, there has to be an extremely high level of psychological safety for even the best ideas oftentimes to come out. So if we set it up, like I said a few times now, you know, self-reflection to then smaller groups to then contribute. And, and now it's not my idea if people shoot it down right? It's our idea. And we had a chance to talk about it, to elevate the best ideas. That is, that's going to help in that way. But otherwise, if we have a, have a piece of this, where you mentioned that, you know, in the past it was one idea and then they ran with it. That's breaking that habit too, is getting out of getting stuck of doing that. So again, I like the questions of how might we, and then the other part to this too, is, is the question, the way we're asking it. One of the things when working with schools is we say, it's instead of saying to us, what are all the problems you're having and how can we address and fix those? Instead, it's a, tell me when you have seen a blank thrive at blank, right? So when have you seen a staff thrive at their best? When have you seen learning accelerate beyond what you could imagine? But you see, there's a different spin on that question. The question isn't looking for all the problems because we could spend three hours listing all of those and solve nothing. Or we can look at what do we want and we shift our focus over to there so that that's what we achieve. Yeah, so you gave three really good answers. Uh, number one, start with a small risk activity like a check-in. Number two, ask the right question, not how do we solve this, but how might we solve it? That leads to making it our idea instead of my idea. And then the way you ask the question also is tell me when you've seen this ideal moment happen that we're trying to get to. And those, those three different ways of looking at that, I think are really powerful. And I, what I like about it is that it gives everybody a little step to go to the next level that if you, if you don't, if you aren't doing anything like this at all, start with a check-in or some other small risk activity where everybody gets their voice heard. Um, if, once you've done that a little bit, 
then you can start asking the right questions and you can really start asking the right questions sooner. But then going through a process to where it's um, our idea instead of my own idea. Uh, I think this is this is really good tactical points to help us implement these things in our schools where it may not be happening. And you and I both know in a lot of schools, this is not happening. <laughs> and so <No. laughs> this is definitely something that's very beneficial for people to listen to. Um, so when we when we think about doing all of these things, we're really just laying the groundwork for these actual decisions to be made and actions to be taken. What happens when we say this is what we believe and what we value and we're starting to act like it and then we're still not successful because that happens too? What do we do when we're when we're having false starts or things aren't working out how we wanted to, the ideas, the the plans we came up with aren't meeting the needs that we have. What do we do when things start falling apart? It gets to be December and everybody's stressed and frustrated and they just want to go on break. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I think this is where it's important. If it's a time before summer or time before school starting time before breaks, it's best to have a meeting at that point prior to, because otherwise we all go on break, we're exhausted, we're still da -da 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 about what happened prior to that. And then we get back and we're not excited to come back versus prior to that break, have that have a conversation and ask again for the voices of how are things going? What is working? What is not working? What would we like to continue to elevate and amplify and do more of? And what would we like to minimize or reduce? And then how do we achieve that? Like, what is what are those things? And when have we been already been doing them? And again, of those, what do we want to keep? What do we want to shift or change? Or what do we want to throw out? And then how do we continue to build that? And I think it's essential. I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I think it's essential to do that before the break so that people have a chance to feel differently and over break to be thinking about what it is that they did we did talk about that we wanted to shift or change or amplify. And then that gets me excited to want to return and, and come back. And the, again, the voices were valued. So I had a chance to be heard. And whether that's you know once a month of, of getting together or whether it's once a quarter, getting together and saying, where are we? This is what we said we wanted to do, our actions aligning with that, and then going from there. But it's got to be that process, that system in place. But I think it's important before that is to even have the guidelines of what does that look like? When are we meeting? How will we know? Or what do we want to set up to discuss to make sure we're on the right track? And then where's our proof? If we say that these are the three things we believe in, and these are the three things that we're going to take action on, did we, and how do we know? When did they happen? And then again, like I said, what, what's working, what's not working, et cetera. Yeah, I, th I think that's really important. And even setting aside a time and saying in advance, this is when we're going to talk about how stressed and frustrated we are with everything that's happening. And this is going to be our release valve that we know you know, we're going to have like a, a party before Christmas break or whatever, but we're also going to have this time a week before that to let off some steam and talk about what's not working and what people are frustrated about. And being able to say that in August, everybody's like, oh, that's funny. We're all so happy and positive and looking forward to the future that we're not going to be frustrated in December. But then December rolls around and everybody is frustrated because we're human beings. And this gives you an opportunity to say early on, here's a way to make things better and to make it work how how we really think it should work. Yes. And how many times, Jethro, do we have meetings that really don't need to be meetings? 
Yeah. Where meetings like this are of such high value. If you structure them right and you have the conversation right, everyone leaves rejuvenated. They know that they had a chance to contribute. They know that we don't have to stay in the muck forever because we know that we're going to have another meeting to talk about the muck, but also mm-hmm. talk about the great things that are you know flourishing and doing that we're doing. And it's just a totally different vibe. And it's a chance to say like, okay, well, this is the way it is. It's always been this way. It's going to stay that way. nobody wants to be there and be a part of that. So to know that you all have your focus as a human and and, and, talking about students too and everyone involved, now we can actually say, giving those voices, we can start to shift and make those changes that need to be made that actually truly make a difference and get it to be where people are like, yes, I want to come to work. Yes, I'd love to be here. Yes, I want to learn. Let's go. Yeah. And that's really what we want everybody to experience. And we make that very difficult for people to experience that. And this is what we've talked about today is one of the ways to make that better. Um, Now, in closing, if you would just share briefly about your Ignite the Shine framework and what that means and how how you help people in all this stuff that we've talked about. Um, I know we're like putting the cart way after the horse. That's okay. I think now that people know, like, and trust you better, you can express what the shine framework is. Yeah. And you know, the shine framework is such a, it's simple, but complex at the same time. So I appreciate us talking about human focused culture first, uh, because now it makes a little bit more sense into the depth of what all it encompasses, but shine is an acronym. And so it stands for S is self. In other words, we really look at yourself. And each individual, which relates back to human focused culture, the shift that is different for us that we help support schools in making is that it's about your strengths and your gifts, skills and talents. Right. So in other words, we're looking through the, the good things, just like the questioning I talked about. If we what do we want to achieve? That's what we should be asking. So it's the same concept here with us. So we're looking at the things that you do really, really well. Not that we ignore what you can't do, can't do or what you don't do well. But Gallup research says that a strength will remain a strength. Right? but a weakness will never become a strength. So we work on them, but it's a little bit different than the aspect of what if we came through the lens of strengths? What if we came together as a culture, as a school, using each of the strengths that we have, stop beating ourselves up over what we can't do and what how our colleagues are better at something else than, some, than other things. And we came together in strengths instead. It's a very different approach, very different feel and talk about feeling valued. Everybody does, because I know that I turn to somebody that has a strength that I don't have, and they're going to do the same thing to me. I mean, and it's okay that you're not great at everything. And it really helps with uh, perfectionism as well. H and shine is heart. What are your passions? What lights you up? What gives you energy? What drains you? (laughs) And then we look at the two together. So S for self, when we think about all of you and those strengths and mindset and everything, but putting it together with heart, with passion. It's the sweet spot. You need both in order to truly thrive, be resilient, fulfillment. When we get to I, I is inspire. So I am meaning that life's going to throw curveballs. So how are you going to stay inspired and how do you inspire others? And that's when we see a lot of morale start to fall. S, H, and I play very heavy in that as to why the morale is dropping and why we're not shifting that into a different direction. When we get to N, N is navigate meaning we've talked about all these great things at this point, but if you don't do, put them into action, you don't do anything with them, then what was the point? So how are you going to navigate using the strengths and the passions and the inspiration, whether it's individually, whether it's as a school, whether it's as a team, whatever that looks like, but your goal setting and putting everything into action, your story, your journey. 
And then E is exceptional and shine because you are becoming the exceptional person. You were meant to be not anybody else. And we could even say an exceptional team, right? And so the shine is just becomes the framework that we dive deep into each of the letters. So we could do a kickoff for fun with, you know, like a keynote and getting everyone on the same page to going way deeper work by teams to make sure that we are beginning to shift and change that culture. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And one of the things that is so challenging, especially in schools that are heavily impacted by trauma, is focusing on the strengths of the people that are there. And I heard this amazing interview with Javon McCormick, who um, I wrote about in my book, How to Be a Transformative Principal. I had him on the podcast, and I'll just share his story here real, really briefly because it's just so amazing. So he talked about being the son of a uh, pimp and a prostitute and how he was sexually and physically abused as a kid, uh, grew up in poverty, and he's now the CEO of a multi-million dollar um, corporation, which is just amazing. And I wanted to talk to him on my podcast because I was sure there had to be a teacher that had inspired him and caused him to change. Well, the big surprise is that there was not, that all of his teachers were awful. He doesn't remember anything positive about any of them, and nobody was there to help lift him out of this challenge that he was in. And so just the other day, I listened to him on a podcast and he talked about how um, being uh, multiracial and having all these challenges, life was really tough. And he said, a lot of people talk about white privilege and how you have this privilege growing up. And he said, well, I was also privileged because I learned a lot of difficult lessons that some people can't even fathom. One of which is that I was under a constant amount of stress and now stressful things that make everybody else go crazy don't bother me at all because i i've already experienced things that are way more stressful so this is nothing <laughs> and and what i love about him saying that is that he recognized the strengths that he had in his upbringing that are so difficult for so many of us to see we have the savior complex in schools and things think that we know the answer and how to make everything better and the reality is no matter where the kids that are in front of us are in their life, we can see those things as strengths or as weaknesses. And if we choose to see them as strengths, we can make a great impact on their whole rest of their life. What would you add to that conversation? Oh, my head is like going a million miles <laughs> a minute. <laughs> you get to the core of what I believe. Like I even look back at my own life and I've been through a lot, you know, a lot of trauma. And, but I look at everything and, and the keyword that I'm going to pull out that you said, Jethro, was the, the choice, right? So what do we choose to do with that trauma? What do we choose? How do we choose to view it? How do we decide to determine what lesson is going to come from that or a benefit or a takeaway? So I, I love, I think that's a great example of resiliency right there. Uh, it also with, you know, his story. It also, when I think about shine, it, originally I wasn't doing the word shine. I was doing smart and I was going after an education, what we define as smart in education. And somebody had said to me, Lavana, you're never going to change the definition of smart in education. You know, part of my personality was like, mm, watch me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and that's led her to challenge. Okay. Accepted. But then also there's part of me that the self-doubt creeped in just like we allow. And I thought, okay, so if it's not smart, what is it? But my point is going back to when he said that he didn't have a good teacher, 
you know, that, that, that's like saddens my heart. And I think of how many people unfortunately have said that or have had a good teacher, but have they ever felt actually smart? And so when we think of, again, going back to the strengths piece of that, it's not about being smart at everything. It's not about being the best at all of it. It's, it's about taking who I am and how do I take who I am and what I'm good at doing and contribute that to make the team, the school, the individual, my family, the community better. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so my last question is, if we could... Uh, if, if we could focus on just one thing to make our schools more resilient, what, what would be that one thing that you would say we should focus on? My first reaction, <laughs> but I feel like I need to follow it up with a second piece. Um, my first <laughs> one is, has to do with empathy. You know, if, if we're not willing to listen to other people's experiences and what they've been through and to broaden our perspective then how do we understand and get through trauma and violence and all the things that we all deal with at different levels at different time? Because what I would consider as trauma for me may not be considered trauma for somebody else. That is right? very true. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's still my perspective. It's still what I have been through. And same thing for everybody else. And so I feel we always need to start with empathy. And that goes back to listening to each other, mm-hmm. you know, having a chance to be heard, to be seen to be valued. And then from there, there's obviously other steps. Empathy alone is not going to make that shift and change. But boy, when I, when I think about really making some shifts and changes in culture, well, there's an activity we do that, I mean, whew, it, everyone just, their mouths drop when we do it, but it's centered around empathy. And so I'm going to say that that's going to be my answer. Okay. Very good. Well, Lavana, thank you so much. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more from you? Our website is igniteyourshine.com. So igniteyourshine.com. And that's pretty much available on all social media as well at Ignite Your Shine, except Instagram. We had to do at Ignite Your Shine now. And then I'm Lavana Roth. So L-A capital V-O-N-N-A and then Roth, R-O-T-H. And that's on all social media platforms as well. Okay, very good. It is nice when you can have the same thing at Jethro Jones's mind. It's really nice when, when it can just be everywhere. It's good. Yes. 